0: friendly group. They have a system up there, I think. They circle so everybody gets to greet everybody. Well done. Well done. Good morning once again and welcome to those that are listening on the radio and watching on Facebook. We are pleased that you chose to worship with us this morning. I saw a video clip a few weeks ago that has really stuck with me I'd like to share. The question that was raised in this video clip is how do we get into heaven? And some thoughts and phrases that are verses in the Bible that we think of when we think about entrance into heaven are uh, things like when we get to heaven, we'll meet St. Peter, uh, Peter at the pearly gates who let us in. There's Philippians 4.3. Our names are written in the book of life. Maybe St. Peter is holding the book of life. And we'll check to see if you and I are on the list. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. John ten nine, another familiar verse. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will not be saved. And maybe the most well known, John three sixteen. Whoever believes in him will receive eternal life. A couple more Ephesians two eight. It is by grace you and I have been saved, and in James we have James two twenty six, faith without works is dead. These thoughts and verses are common to our memory and our language about who goes to heaven. But the point and the message of the video clip that I saw was about who gets in heaven. Is this? Jesus decides. That man who died in the middle of those three crosses 2,000 years ago decides. It's simple as that. Jesus decides who gets into heaven. He's picking the people he wants to be in heaven with him. Uh, For those that are sports fans, what did we just have this, this last few days, this weekend? Yeah, watching the NFL draft. NFL draft reporting projections and analysis is huge. NFL fans have been following and hoping their team Picks good players so they'll have a good team next year. Or if you're a college football fan, hoping their favorite player gets picked early. An incredible amount of interest and money is invested in the NFL draft. It's quite the show. But unlike the draft, Jesus is not looking for physical abilities such as how fast someone's time is in the 40 meter dash or how accurately someone throws the football. If you want to know what Jesus is looking for in those he's going to pick to be on his team, I think a good place to go is the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in some study Bibles, there's words printed in red ink in those four Gospels. Jesus' selection criterion is available to us by reading or rereading the red print in our Bibles. But remember that Jesus, because of who he is and what he has done, He decides. And now would you please rise and join me in the call to worship. (coughs) The call to worship this morning is taken from Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. He enters his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues for all generations. And now, with the praise team, we will sing, "Good, good Father."
1: Isn't it wonderful that his love endures for generations? Isn't it wonderful that he's asking us? My son has died for you. Will you accept him as Lord and Savior? Then we could be in the kingdom of God with him. We've heard those stories, just as Brian shared with us in Scripture. But it's his love that overcomes everything. And he's drawing us. Will you submit to him today?
2: Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning to worship you as a body of believers. God, you are such a good and loving Father, and we thank you for the invitation that you extend to all of us to know you and to grow in our relationship with you. Father, our scripture passage this morning of the rich young ruler reminds us that following you comes with a cost, that you ask us to follow you, to be willing to give everything up to follow you but we have so many things that we want to hold on to and still try to follow you. We want we want to know you, but yet we still want a comfortable life. We want to follow you, but we still want to do things on our own or in our own way. We want to follow you, but we want to do it on our own terms and only if you don't ask us to do too, too much. But God, as I read our scripture passage this week, I was reminded that even though you ask us to give up everything to follow you. In the process, we find true life. We find meaning. We find purpose. Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and the life that you give us pales in comparison to the things of this world or the things that are holding us back from fully surrendering our lives to you. And so, God, I pray that you would forgive us for holding on to the things in our relationship with you. Help us to give those things up and to surrender ourselves because we know that when we do, we experience life, an abundant life in you and help us to choose you over everything, Lord, no matter what the cost. Father, we know that there are many concerns and prayer needs within our own church, but also within the communities and the world around us, Lord.
1: And we're thankful
2: that you don't need a prayers and concerns list because you already know what is happening in every person's life. And you know what's going on, and you know what they're going through, and you know how to care for them and love them because you are a good Father. And so we pray this morning that you would meet each person in their moment of need. Remind them of your love and help them to see and feel your presence this week as they walk with you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue to guide our worship this morning. I pray for Pastor Joel as he gives the message this morning that it would be your words coming through him, Lord. Keep us focused on you and worshiping you, and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. At this point, I'll ask your children to come forward and you can have a seat. Hi, guys. How's it going? Everyone, have a good week. You guys are real quiet this morning. Are you awake? no not awake all right well maybe we can wake you up this morning so a couple more I hear some feet come on in all right so if I asked you if you wanted to be a millionaire what would you say if I gave you a million dollars what would you say That's not very excited. If I said, I'm giving you a million dollars, what would your reaction be? Yes. Yes, right? Oh, my goodness. You know, you would probably want that money, right? Because having money means you could buy a lot of things. What would you buy with a million dollars? Toys. Toys. All the toys. A unicorn. You would save it. You are smart. (laughs) You could buy all the toys, all the video games, You could buy all the candy you wanted. You could even buy, like, a candy store, and you'd be set for life, right? Um, So, but can we, can money buy happiness? No. No. If you had a million dollars, would that mean that you were happy all the time? And that life would be perfect all the time? No. No. Uh, Can money buy your way into God's kingdom? Into heaven? No. No. We can't pay our way into God's kingdom, can we? So today we're going to learn about a rich, young ruler from back in Jesus' day. And this, Jesus and this rich, young ruler had a pretty interesting conversation, and I want to read it for you. So it says in Luke 18, one, one day, one of the local officials asked him, good teacher, what must I do to deserve eternal life? Jesus said, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments, don't you? No killing, no stealing, no lying, honor your father and mother. He said, I've kept them for as long as I can remember. When Jesus heard that, he said, There's only one thing left to do sell everything you own and give it to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven, and then come follow me. This was the last thing the official expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let them go. And seeing his reaction, Jesus said, do you have any idea idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? I'd say that it's easier to thread a camel through a needle's eye than a rich person to get into God's kingdom. Then who has any chance at all? The others asked. No chance at all. If you think you can pull it off by yourself, every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. Peter tried to talk to Jesus, and he he says, "We left everything we owned and we followed you, didn't we? Yes, Jesus. And you won't regret it. No one who has sacrificed home, spouse, brothers and sisters, parents, children, whatever, will lose out. It will all come back to them, many multiplied many times over in your lifetime, and the bonus of eternal life." So, Jesus had this conversation with this rich guy. And the rich guy was like, hey, how do I get into heaven? What do I got to do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you have to sell everything and follow me. And he had a lot of money. He had a lot of things. And did he, did he sell them? No. no, he didn't. He went away sad and because he had a lot of stuff, and he wasn't quite ready to give it all up. But, you know, when Jesus tells us to give things up, when he tells us to let go of things like money or toys or video games or whatever it is, he always has something so much better for us. So if we're willing to give up those things, he shows us that he has a lot more in store for us and that all of our rewards, all of the things that we're going to get are in heaven with him, an eternal life with him. So what's something that you could give up to follow Jesus? What would you be willing to give up? give away some toys. That's a great answer. Money. Miles, what do you think? Your house? house? Selling the house. (laughs) You might want to make plans. (laughs) But yeah, Jesus asks us to give up a lot, but there's always a reason for it. And it always helps us to grow in our relationship with him when we're willing to say, God, I give you everything. No matter what the cost, I give you everything. Okay. So this week, think of the little things that you might be able to give up to follow Jesus, and to know him better, and to love him more, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, your love, Lord, and that you have given us the ability to have a relationship with you. And knowing you does come at a cost, Lord, but it's worth it. Lord, it's worth it to give everything up to follow you, and I pray that you would remind us of that this week. We love you, and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen.
3: Amen. Thanks, Pastor Torre. You guys can head back to your seats. This time, I want to invite the choir for, forward. Uh, they're going to be helping us with our offering this morning. Um, the offering does go to support the work of Katie Lair and with Young Life and PICWA. And so I want to encourage you to give as you feel led to give this morning. All undesignated offerings given through the offering plate this morning will go to support her ministry through Young Life. Uh, many of you are familiar with the work of Young Life. It's a great organization reaching young people and teens uh, with the gospel, and we are grateful that we're able to support her ministry through the Young Life office in Piqua. Uh, so this time, I want to invite our deacons to come forward to collect our offering.
1: remain standing Tori thank you for the children's version of our scripture for today now we will read the adult version if you want to follow along on your pew Bible is on page 1051 Luke 18 18 to 30 a certain ruler asked him good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life why do you call me good Jesus answered no one is good except God alone You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. You may be seated.
3: Thank you, Sharon. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again together. Father God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to worship you this morning. We thank you for the, for the gift of music, which we can lift up our praises to you. We thank you for the opportunity to pray together and for one another. And now we thank you for the opportunity to open your word together and study it. I pray that you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, And I pray, Lord, that you open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, I know um, I'm up here a few minutes earlier than I normally am. And some of you may be looking at the clock and thinking, oh, no, it's only 925 and Pastor Joel's already up there. This is going to be a long one. Um, But just know that I'm up here a little early so that we have time to hear from Riley. She's going to be sharing with you about her mission trip. After my message here today, um, we thought uh, given the the scripture passage that we had selected um, and and the topic that we're going to talk about here, it would be a great way to uh, then flow into uh, what she's going to share with us about her time on the mission trip. And so don't worry, it'll be a, well, normal, I guess, sermon, which may be a little long at times too, but we are going to study God's word together here. Um, And so as we look at Luke 18, uh, I think as we're, as we're reading through the Gospels, um, as we've been doing with this Bible in the Year plan, some of my favorite uh, scenes in the Gospels are the way that Jesus' leaders are obviously trying to trap Jesus and trying to get him to say something so they can use a soundbite against him, right, to convince the crowds and convince the authorities to get rid of him. But some of these interactions are genuine. Think of Nicodemus in John 3, for example. He seeks Jesus out and has a very... Similar question to what this rich ruler has in Luke 18. The interaction here in Luke 18, I think, is a genuine question. This young person wants to know how to inherit eternal life. And that, just look at the way he asked the question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we see in verse 19 that Jesus responds, first of all, by pointing out that no one is good except God alone. Jesus, in this statement, in his response, Jesus isn't denying his own goodness. What he's trying to do is to get the young ruler to realize that this person he's talking to isn't just a good moral teacher, isn't just a a guy that has a lot of good things to say about good living, but he is, in fact, God in the flesh, right? If no one is good except God alone, and Jesus is good, then you got to put two and two together. We must realize that Jesus is God in the flesh. And this is not the first time that Jesus was asked this very same question. In Luke 10, 25, Jesus is asked the same question word for word. And it's at that opportunity that Jesus responds by stating the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on further to share the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so as we are looking at Jesus' response here in Luke 18, it's important to keep that response in mind as well. What must you do to inherit eternal life? Well, we must love God with everything that we have. And so the two parts of Jesus' response here reveal something that's very important about how we inherit eternal life. In order for us to be saved, in order for us to experience God's salvation... We need to, uh, in order to be, excuse me, in order to be saved and experience the salvation, we don't need more good works. We need to allow God to uproot the idols in our lives. See, the one thing that we lack is a fully, a heart fully devoted to Jesus. He is worth it. And so the first thing Jesus instructs here is he tells the young, rich young ruler not to put his trust in his own good works the way this person asks the question reveals that he is thinking about this from the wrong perspective. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, notice where I put the emphasis in that question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The focus of the question is on his good works and obedience. He's thinking in the mindset of this works-based righteousness. In that sort of mindset will always fall short. When we when we try to frame our salvation in terms of what we must do to earn it, we'll always end up with some form of works-based righteousness, thinking that salvation is something that we can accomplish on our own through our own obedience. Now, when I use that term works-based righteousness, what I mean is it's the belief that, that our standing before God, our relationship with Him is based on our good works, that in our life we've got to accumulate more good things, right more good works than bad works, so the scales are tipped in our favor. We think that God will only love us when we obey or when we do good things for Him, but again, any sort of works based righteousness is going to fail in the end and so note how Jesus responds to him. He says, "What must I do to inherit eternal life and Jesus responds by quoting half of the ten commandments right he quotes the, most the ones that he quotes here specifically deal with how to love one's neighbor. And the rich ruler claims that to have kept all of these things since he was a child. Right? He says I've done all that. I've not broken those commandments. Right? Is that enough? You see the problem with this works-based righteousness is we can fool ourselves. We can fool ourselves into thinking that we are good enough. That we don't have a need for a savior. Right, go down the list of the Ten Commandments. If we're honest, if we're if we're completely honest with ourselves, we know we've broken every one of them in, in one way, shape, or form. But on a surface level, it looks like things that we can accomplish. Right? Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Those are all things in our own power, to our in a in a very surface level capacity, we can accomplish those things on our own. When we when we fall into that trap, we think we don't need a savior. Think about Paul's own testimony in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. This is Paul's testimony from a worldly perspective. He says, if I myself have reasons for such confidence, he's talking about having confidence in the flesh and confidence in a works-based righteousness. And so in 4 through 6, he goes on to say, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Right, Paul's understanding before he came to Christ was that his righteousness based on the law was faultless, that he was able to be good enough to earn God's favor. But Scripture is clear that there is no one righteous, not even one. Right, Even the best, most moral people, Most upstanding citizens are all sinners in in need of God's grace. And I'll be the first one to admit I am a sinner in need of a Savior as well. There is no one righteous, not even one. And so here's the trap of workspace righteousness. You can be a good person. You can live out the commandments to the best of your ability and still not receive eternal life. Now I'm going to make a, this next statement I know might be a little shocking, but I'm going to say it anyways. Hell will be full of good people who did a lot of good things. Hell will be full of, of, with a lot of good people who did a lot of good things because our good works do not save us. So what does save us? Only faith and trust in Jesus can do that. So if you're here today and you're thinking that, all right, I'm a good person. I don't, I've never done anything too bad in my life. I've, I give, I attend church. I, I'm, I'm you know, a very upstanding citizen. I do all the right things. Well, the bottom line is that those are good things, but those good things cannot save. We need Jesus to save us. The second thing that Jesus highlights here is that we cannot put our trust and idols. So we can't put our trust in our good works, but we also can't put our trust in idols. So notice I mentioned that Jesus listed half of the commandments. You know what ones he left out? He left out, thou shall not covet, and all four commandments that deal with our relationship with God, including the exclusive worship of the Lord alone. The second part of Jesus' response reveals that the other trap that some people fall into is that they they put their trust in idols to provide for them. But these idols, in the end, cannot save. The one thing Jesus says this young ruler lacks, that he needs to uproot the idol of money in his life. Jesus tells him to sell everything and give it to the poor. And he says, then you will have treasure in heaven and to come and follow him. Now we have to be clear, right? Money may have been his problem, but money itself is not the problem. It's the love of money and the things that he thinks that money can provide that are a problem for him. That's where the issue lies. Power that it can give us access to pleasure that we otherwise wouldn't have. But it's it's the love of money. It's the desire for it. It's the prioritization of money over all other things that becomes a problem. I want to read 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 for you. Again, this is 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. In this, Paul writes to his young friend and fellow pastor, he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice what Paul is warning against here. He, says money it's, he doesn't say that money itself is evil. He's not saying that those with big bank accounts are somehow worse off than other people. No, he's saying it's the love of money. It's the greed. It's the desire for more. It's the never being satisfied with what you have. It's those things that lead to all sorts of evil. And people who desire more, people that want to get rich quick, right? they, those are the people that fall into temptations and traps and pierce themselves with all sorts of griefs. It's the love of money. It's greed that leads to all kinds of problems. In the bo- at the bottom... The bottom line is that our love for money will never be enough. And it's also important to note that it's not the amount of money here that's the issue. Yes, he does tell the rich young ruler to give away all, but it's not about the quantity that he gives away. A few chapters later in Luke chapter 21, Jesus and his disciples observe people giving their offerings in the temple. And there's plenty of rich individuals that come up and give large gifts into the treasury. But then they observe one widow that goes and she gives just a few copper coins, right, all that she has. And Jesus says that woman gave more that day than all the other gifts because she gave out of she gave out of her poverty, right? She gave she gave everything. Everybody else gave out of their abundance. You see, it's not the it's not the quantity. It's not about hitting a certain benchmark with our giving, but it's about making sure right that that money doesn't have a hold over us or a grip over us. And I also want to encourage you to remember, right? Don't forget that we are we as Americans, right? As, as citizens of this country. We are richer than most people in the in the world today and throughout the history of the world have ever experienced. Right? We look at this story and we think, "All right, this rich young ruler, right? He had he had more than I do. He had plenty, right? So, so this parable isn't real, or the story isn't talking about me. But we must remember that we are rich by the world standards, by the standards of the history of the world. We have more than we could possibly imagine. So, yes, we need to make sure that we are not susceptible to the idol of money and the grip that it can have on our lives. But we also must recognize too that uh, what idolatry is to begin with. I've used that word idol, and it's an important word for us to recognize because it's a problem that God's people have had throughout the Old Testament, and it's a problem that we continue to have today. Idols are anything that we derive identity and purpose from besides God. Now I want to say that again because I think this is really important for us to understand. Idols are anything that we derive our identity and purpose in apart from God. When we look at the Old Testament, we, we see idols as, as statues and altars and, and temples to other gods. And we think, well, those things are easy enough for us to avoid. But the reality is we have idols that grip our hearts in our world today. They're not statues necessarily, but they are very real and just as dangerous. What are some of the common idols that we struggle with? Well, money, of course, continues to be an idol in our world today. We also make idols out of sports, out of politics, out of our job, out of our physical appearance. We make idols out of things like our health, our family, our spouse, our kids, our reputation, or even our own health, right? Now, as I read down that list, some of you probably thought, well, those aren't bad things necessarily. Of course not. That's the the insidious nature of idolatry, right? As we take good things and we put them above God, right? Our family is good, but when we put our family above God, that becomes a problem. Our job is good, but when we put our job above God, that becomes a problem. God alone should have first priority, first place in our lives. Our hearts are idle factories. We constantly grab hold of things that we think are going to make us happy, that we think are going to give us meaning and purpose and significance. God created us to worship. God created us to give ourselves over to Him. But if we're not giving ourselves over to Him, we're going to find something else to take His place. We are made to worship. And therefore, if we are not worshiping Jesus, we'll find something else. Our, hei- our hearts are idol factories. And as Pastor Tori noted in her children's chat, right, this young, rich young ruler goes away sad. He's very wealthy. Now, the text doesn't explicitly say what he does. It seems to imply that he goes away sad because he doesn't want to give up his wealth. But it doesn't actually say what he does. The question is left unanswered. He may have been sad now, but could have later changed his mind. The truth is that no one is ever going to regret following Jesus, no one's ever going to regret giving up everything in order to follow him. It may be hard, and we're certainly going to have to give up our idols but he is worth it. So the question then is who can be saved? That's what, the, that's what the disciples want to know. After this interaction with the rich ruler, Jesus turns to his disciples and uses this as a teaching moment. He says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And yeah, I've heard all the possible explanations of that of that saying, right? That there was a small gate in, in the wall of Jerusalem that was a, that the camels had to had to unload their packs and crawl through in order to pass through the gate. And that seems plausible enough, but I think, I think with this saying, we, do, we need to embrace the absurdity of it. Right? A camel cannot go through the eye of a needle. It's physically and literally impossible for that to happen. It's not just hard, it's impossible. Rich people can't save themselves, it's impossible. Humanly speaking, that is. Humanly speaking, it's impossible, but all things are possible with God. See, that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. No one can save, can save themselves. Only God can save them. We can't do it through our good works. All those other idols we cling to in our lives aren't going to save us. The one thing that will save us, the one person who can save us, is Jesus Christ, the cross and the empty tomb. You see, salvation is the work of God from beginning to end. It's impossible for a person to save themselves, but God is able to save you through faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's also helpful to read this story in its context too, right? He says it's hard for rich people to be saved, right, to enter the kingdom of God. It's, it's impossible for people to save themselves. It's only possible through God. Well, this story takes place, takes place in the middle of Luke 18, but if you were to flip a page in your Bible over to Luke 19, we have another similar story of a rich man. This one name was Zacchaeus. And he is immediate proof that salvation is possible through trust in Christ. So let, I think there's an intentional comparison going on here between the rich ruler and Zacchaeus. And I want to take a moment. We're not going to read Zacchaeus' story, but I invite you to do that on your own as well. Not only do these stories take place in close proximity between this rich ruler and Zacchaeus, both are described with the same word meaning ruler or chief. The young ruler goes away sad, and as I said, it's unclear if he follows through with Jesus' command. But in the story of Zacchaeus, it says that he joyfully gives away half of his wealth and pays back four times what he stole from people. And after all of this, Jesus tells Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So we have two stories of two rich people. One responds joyfully in giving away with half of his wealth, the other goes away sad because he was very wealthy, and, and, and it seems to indicate that he wanted to hold on to his wealth. You see, what we need is a heart transplant. We need, to, we need God to remove our heart that's devoted to idols that, that clings to works righteousness and replace it with a heart fully committed to Jesus. That is the thing we lack. The thing we lack is the desire to put Him first above all else and to trust in Him for our salvation. And in the end, He is worth it. People who give up their idols to follow Jesus will be rewarded in this life and in the next missionary Jim Elliott, who was one of five people killed in their attempt to share the gospel with an unreached people group in Ecuador. He died at just 29 years old. He's famous for saying this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. See, when we give up our idols, when we give up our our workspace righteousness in order to follow Jesus. Yes, it's hard. And yes, it requires sacrifice. But what we receive in return is worth it and then some. I have a list here and I'll I'll share some scripture references with you, but we don't have time to dig into each one. But I want to just share what are some of the things that scripture says we receive from Christ when we put our trust in him. Well Ephesians one three says that he gives us every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's Ephesians one three. In Second Corinthians four seventeen, we're reminded that our eternal glory far outweighs the light and momentary troubles we experience in this world, Second Corinthians four seventeen. In first Peter one verses three through nine, we're reminded that our faith is more valuable than gold, because it's an inheritance that will never spoil nor fade. He describes it as an inexpressible and glorious joy to know Christ. That's 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Philippians 4, 7 says that we receive a peace that passes understanding. That when we put our trust in Christ, we are accepted into the family of God, right? Not only is or do we become children of God, but we also receive brothers and sisters in Christ that goes beyond family ties, and, and even the bounds of space and time, right? We are connected to a family of God that spans the globe and goes back thousands of years, right? We become part of God's family. We are brought together in Him. And finally, we are given, a, we are given love and a good standing before God that can never be taken away. Romans 8, 31 through 39 reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know about you, but I think those things are well worth giving up our idols. Well worth giving up the desire to prove ourselves righteous through our good works. When we give those things up, quit clinging to those things, we receive so much more in return. And I encourage you to do that today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the example of your word, and the truth that is found there. Lord, help us to give up our desire to save ourselves through our good works or through the idols that we cling to. Lord, remove from us our, our heart devoted to worthless idols and give us a heart that is filled with your spirit and devoted to you and you alone. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. At this time, I want to invite Riley Toby forward. We're really excited to hear from her. Um, and what God was doing in and through her during her m- recent mission trip, so Riley, thank you so much for being here today, and I encourage you to encourage you all to hear what she has to say to us this morning. Riley, thanks for being here.
1: Well,
4: I just wanted to say thank you very much for supporting me throughout my high school career as I was active in the youth group um, and also throughout college. Um, and just being a welcoming group, and supporting me through my, um, my Cuba trip as well. Um, I first kind of wanted to share a little bit about Cuba, just in general, like, that it's a beautiful country, and that the streets are exactly what it's talked about, like, what it's shared, is that, like, all the vehicles are old, refurbished from the 60s, um, all the, um, the stereotypes of, of the vehicles are true, and, um, The water is super clear. The weather is beautiful. um, But I think the most beautiful thing about Cuba is the people. Um, So the reason why I went, um, a group in Finley reached out to the campus ministry team at the university, which I'm active in. um, And they said, hey, we want to bring some college students to Cuba with us. We go every year, but we think it'd be fun to have a younger generation come in um, to to reach um, some of the younger kids in Cuba and just to share from a different perspective. Um, and also, it makes the um, the older people um, in Cuba really, really excited and happy to see um, young believers um, working for Christ. Um, so we went to Cuba uh, to bring supplies to the people there because of the government keeping a lot of supplies from their their, their citizens, um, and they don't have access to a lot of the things that we have, so we brought baseball bats and clothes and medications and um, powdered milk for them to use um, because a lot of these things aren't available in stores all the time. It's rationed out. Um, the churches there also asked for us to um, prepare some sermons um, on um, Old Testament prophets, um, the minor and major prophets. Um, I shared on Obadiah and Jonah. Um, some others shared on um, the difference between Elijah and Elisha um, and different different um, materials that maybe we talk a lot about here in the United States, but they don't have access to because um, they don't have the, the, the resources that we do. Um, so each day we attended the churches, um, and these churches are nothing like you'd ever seen before. Um, they're just little, um, little huts in the middle of nowhere or in run-down tin buildings that Um, are smaller than the space that we have up here, Um, but they'll pack these churches full of people. Um, People are just so willing and desiring to learn about the Lord. Um, We ended our time each day with the groups um, and was sharing sermons with a lot of worship. Uh, We didn't know any of the music because it was all in Spanish, um, but that didn't stop the Holy Spirit from moving. Um, That was probably one of the most beautiful sights to have seen. Um, We also played with the kids. Each day we would play soccer, baseball, volleyball, teaching them um, new and fun things, and them teaching us a lot about sports and a lot about um, the youth culture there. Um, And we would put on a little, like, vacation Bible school, um, sharing the gospel with them, singing songs, um, giving them supplies that they don't have access to at home, like new pencils and books and crayons and things like that. There was a lot of dancing and a lot of worship um, and a lot of love. And I wish I could just share everything in my mind with you, but um, it's hard to explain everything um, when something that grand was experienced. Um, all of the songs were in a different language that we didn't understand, and as I said, um, God still worked in that. Uh, there was a time when we would go um, out into the city and pray, uh, just over the group uh, or the Havana uh, uh, as as a whole. Um, there's a lot of idol worshiping, as you had talked about. Um, and Cuba was just, um, I, we believe in need of, like, prayer. Um, we were praying by the water at night, and we were approached by a lady who was asking um, for us to pray over her and for her country. We were all communicating this by Google Translate, um, and I think it was beautiful that everybody is so willing and to, and to be vulnerable, um, and that I think was something that we could take away, um, and how uh, everybody there is just so... Um, willing to give up time and possessions um, to follow Christ, even though um, they may be persecuted for it. Um, I think it's interesting also that you shared the Jim Elliott quote. Um, we read a book going into Cuba um, all through, called Through Gates of Splendor, written by his wife, um, and it was very motivating and encouraging to lay down all things, to pick up and follow follow Jesus, and the, the risks and reward that comes with that. And so I appreciate you for sharing that. Um, I don't have much else to share. Mainly because there's just so much information that's just wanting to explode from me. But if you would like to talk to me afterwards, I would like to be, uh, I would like to meet with you guys over in the heritage room. If you had any questions, wanted to see some pictures, um, but yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate you all for being so welcoming and, and giving and uh, loving and encouraging. So.
3: Well, thank you for being here and sharing that with us, Riley. We're really grateful that we are. Able to support you in this trip and and really excited about what god is doing in and through you and will continue to do into the future So i am um, love to pray for you and then Um, we'll have the worship team come up here and we'll close out our service with our last song So let's pray together father. Thank you for riley and thank you lord for her heart to to serve you even if that means uh giving up and going lord to a different country and a, a completely different experience lord I'm um, just thank you for her willingness to do that and I pray lord that you would bless the efforts that they put forth in Cuba, I pray that uh, the children that they interacted with, uh, the the churches that they were able to worship with, Lord, and the people that they were able to help would be impacted, not just uh, not just for that week that they were there, but that the the work that they put in would have an eternal impact for Your Kingdom in in Cuba. And we thank You for all these things and pray them in Christ's name, Amen. And as Riley said, um, she's going to be over in the Heritage Room after the service is over. If anybody would like to just take a few minutes and touch base with her, talk with her, ask her questions. She'd be happy to to do that. So I invite you to take time after the service to do that. Let's stand and let's sing our closing song together. able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may go in peace.